Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast where three hair whipping, heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. All right, great. Welcome back, listeners. So, how are how are y'all doing? What's up? What have you been up to this week? I got a little gayer this week. Ooh, definitely did. So oh. I do my nails. I do my nails like every two weeks or so, right? And normally I get this one standard color. It's pretty neutral. First, it was Sugar Daddy by Essie for those who are wondering, or Bubble Bath by OPI in gel. Um, except yeah, this more. time, I did both my pinkies and. Oh, I'm here holding up to the camera as if we're like video recording. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's like it's this metallic unicorn type look with a with a rhinestone at the base. Ooh. So yeah, I, can, I think I upped my um I upped my my gay factor or whatever it is just a little bit more this week. I became a little bit more fabulous and I'm good with that, you know. Um what else way. is happening? I had a fashion that was cute that was fun people saw me and thought i would i deserved to be in vip oh i wasn't even i was i didn't even go all out i was just like i'm putting this on because i don't feel polished i'm refined this is just you know just a a a geesh honey just something something simple and when i went people were like oh my god yes are you mopping are you walking honey no i just came to observe um what else (laughs) Well, I've been, I've, I've been good. I'm right. Okay. In case the kids don't know, Kareem knows how to serve a look. So, I mean, even on your worst day, you're still Listen, it I know how to give a look, be a look. Yeah. Learn a look. Looks up what I Right. Oh, gosh. Wow. My, my week was quite tiring, um, but fulfilling. Um, so it's my second week back at work. And for those who don't know, I work at an LGBT rights organization in Jamaica and um, had to get back in the groove of things since I've been back. And I had to help plan and execute our staff retreat and capacity building. And that took a lot out of me. But in the end, it was really great. I did the treasure hunt. I organized the game. I came up with the clues. So if y'all have children's parties, I'm real good at that shit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, so I had a really good time. <laughs> And I saw the kids come together and I saw our team grow. And then today I spent the first half of my morning with my aunt and my mom. We went for breakfast. So I'm doing this thing now because so long story short, me and my mom kind of fell out when uh, she found out who I, that I was queer. And then we started building back our relationship to what it was a few years ago. So I'm instituting this thing in our lives where we at least go out once a month. And she kind of told me that I had to also include my aunt since she was also there for me as well. So, you know, I'm trying to do this once a month thing, you know, that son that reconnects with his mama. We went for breakfast and then we went up to Hollywell, which is this lovely mountainous place in Jamaica. And we did a trail. It was very nature, very fun. Wow. I've I've never been to Hollywell. Girl, that sounds like a good oh. time. Also, I think it's super adorable that you're having like like dates with your mom and like hanging out and like having food and all the things that's like really adorable thank you like we were like because for a big part of um our lives she was a single mother and we had become like we were friends because it was just us 
and we were close in a kind of way and we lost that so i'm really glad we're able to get that this is our second date and i'm thinking of i told her we won't be doing next one because i have, I have other aunts who have expectations so i'm thinking of probably doing facials with my two aunts for my next date we'll see how that goes i'll update y'all i mean there, there there is something too about the relationships between gay boys and their mamas um we might that is that might be something for us to talk about later on but um because i would love to have my mom on because i know she would love to give her two cents in on something of the sort Mm -hmm. okay well okay so all right well actually that's a really perhaps useful kind of segue if you will into the the conversation in terms of like um coming out to mamas and parents and family members we do that um what about your week oh okay so um i don't know if i've mentioned but i in addition to like the dance classes and all of that stuff i signed up for this lgbt volleyball league right because i want to do activities and socialize and meet people that are not the horrible platforms that are the you know the the gay dating apps or whatever the case is so we had our first game this week which was cute we lost all the sets, but that's fine. Whatever. How they had a bad. opening social. <laughs> uh, they had an opening social this weekend. And I told myself, okay, I was going to go. I am going to make an effort to talk to people and meet people. Because that was part of the reason I joined the thing, you know, in the first place. And I mean, I spoke to a few guys and they were fine. But it's like, okay, so anyone who also knows me, I am not like a social butterfly type person. Crowding, like crowds are like stressful for me. Long story short, I was only there for like a little over half an hour. And I left feeling defeated because I was like, oh my God, Cornell, you need to be, you need to learn how to be a proper functioning adult and learn how to meet people. Otherwise, you will be alone for the rest of your life. So I'm a little, I'm not quite sure how to feel about other things, but I need to like learn how to do better at this entire thing. Don't be too hard on yourself because I mean, there are a lot of people who are introverted and wallflowers. So, I mean, what some of my friends do is use me as the more extroverted person as a buffer to kind of help them be more engaging and be more, uh, you know, fun and, and, and interactive in those kind of spaces. So give yourself some time to, you know. And some credit because you were there by yourself. So listen, for long enough, think of it. You grace them with your presence. They they got all that they needed. And now you can go and recuperate and do do what's more comfortable for you. And the truth is most people do go out alone. Most people what? Do not even go out alone. So the fact that Kareem said that you were there by yourself is extremely commendable. I ain't going to no strange place by myself trying to make new friends with, with no my other friends there. Girl. I was just about to say the yeah. same thing. As much as I love to give people their life and do all these things, I have a fear of going to places. Like, I haven't been to the movie theater by myself. I haven't been to a party by myself. I'll make a thousand phone calls trying to get somebody to be there just that there's a familiar face so trust me i don't think you're alone see at the bus stop somebody because it's scary (laughs) when you're by yourself in a strange i don't anybody anybody yeah i mean it's so i think part of one one of the things for me anyway is that a lot of these um groups are like largely white folk and so i find myself often being the only like 
black man, which is like like another weird dynamic that makes things difficult. Um, but I mean, who knows? As a quick side note, I feel I I find it really strange that some people. So Kareem was saying that he wouldn't go to the, the theater alone or that the movies alone. I have no problems going to the movie alone, but I have some. I know some people who hate the idea of going to the movie alone, but like would go to a club alone. And I was like, I feel like going to the club alone is far more terrifying than going to the movies alone. So same thing. choices. Same. Yeah. Okay, so this week we are talking about the coming out process, what that looks like, whether or not it's an actually actual thing that we need to um, go through at some point in our lives and maybe getting into a little bit about what that looks like for us um, in terms of our relationship with friends and family and so on. So, I mean, I haven't had that conversation with my folks so maybe i'll hold off and kind of like my experiences on that matter to start so i mean does anyone want to jump in like what a what what is your kind of like stance in the whole like coming out process generally speaking so i'm gonna be the academic nerd and be like but what do you mean by coming out what is your definition (laughs) that term no but yeah for the conversation it would be great like when we think about coming out what images in our mind right okay so Yes. Also, I guess the, the academic side of me would say something about how it's this kind of like Western, largely North American construct framed by this kind of declarative statement that one makes about one's identity to, you know, one's family or whatever the case is. But I think it can also be a personal journey where, you know, you come to terms perhaps with your sexual um, identity. Uh, so, I mean, I know for out of the folks, they've struggled. So for example, in the Jamaican context anyway, like religion is like a pretty big thing. And so some people are like, oh, I'm not gay for whatever reason, or this is just the way that I feel for the time being. And maybe it's a situation where um, a kind of personal journey where one's like, okay, this is who I am. And maybe that's a version of coming out perhaps. But I think largely it's understood as this kind of like public um, statement that doesn't need to be the, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case for everyone, I guess. So that being said, I don't think we come out in Jamaica if we use that kind of limited westernized definition. And I don't think there's an out to go to come out to. Like, I don't think we organize our own sexuality mm-hmm. in the same way. And I think there we function so differently because Jamaica is a performative society, right? And we, we have, through colonial times and a bunch of other things, perf- we perform one thing publicly because we're required to, but we know we do a, a bunch of other things privately. And people around us will know that we do these other things privately, but still participate in that public performance because we are all ha- under the common understanding that we're supposed you're supposed to perform in this way. And so I say that to say that in many ways, sexual deviance is normalized but then hidden and stigmatized at the same time within that kind of contradiction so i don't think coming out is facilitated within that kind of thinking where in 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 a way secretly it's understood that some people would deviate secretly but um as long as they perform publicly then it's kind of fine and then it's okay i think back to like conversations with older advocates and um just you know older people um that i've been around who say in the 60s, in the 70s, you knew that there were queer people around and you knew that there was a gay man up the road, but um, no one said anything and no one spoke about it. We didn't have to give voice um, to certain realities to be. And we don't have to give voice to certain realities to be in Jamaica. And so 
I think that's why coming out will always seem weird and, and ill-fitting in our context because it, it's not a prerequisite to living a, an authentically queer life, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, but, okay. But, so I, oh, wait, go ahead, Kareem. No, go ahead, Cornell. Say what you... Oh, no, I was going to gonna respond quickly to something Glenroy said. Uh, so you were talking about this idea of performance, and it reminded me of a conversation that I had uh, with some students of men in class, and I was saying to them how part of how men are socialized to, or understand, part of how men understand their heterosexuality has to do with, like, um, performance. So, like, you need to be talking about having sex with lots of women or say you're hanging out or dating a lot of women. And I think for, it's often the case where if men aren't having those conversations publicly or socially with their friends, they might be assumed to be queer. So, and I mean, in some respects or some situations that might be um, an, an okay kind of thing where it's like silence, perhaps in some in, in some cases people are understanding as being you read as queer or, or like gay because of like non-performance and non-participation in a certain understanding of you know heterosexual masculinity or whatever the case is right so just a thought yeah and I think what I was going to say is just that the way I understood coming out without the academic lingo and all of that it was just a simply declaration of this is who I am and you know, not necessarily. I mean, some people might do it for so that they could go on to live their lives authentically. But for others, it was more so, at least I could speak for me. I can even say for others. Like for me, when I came out, it wasn't so that I could live a life that was authentic by anybody else's standard, but just so that I felt like I needed or I had the responsibility to be visible and I guess, confirm what what others already knew. Not from my... I guess I was a, 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 like a martyr almost. Like I came out because I wanted people who loved me easily and who knew that I was gay or queer or whatever um, would be able to love others. It's just like Lizzo said the other day, right? Like, if you could love me, then you could love your fat friends just as much or something of the sort. It was kind of like that that idea for me when I came out. And I think even in Jamaica, in its, sim- in, in its simplest form, the idea of coming out, of just like declaring to someone or just stating that, yes, I am gay and I'm attracted to the same sex. I found myself doing that a lot to like people around me who would ask me questions about whether and what my attractions were and where they lie and so on and so forth. So I would say to an extent, like in its simple form, we do come out. It might not be as political as it is perhaps in like the American context where a celebrity might come out or something of the sort because they're tired of living a lie and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I hate um, coming out stories being um, framed that way. But I would say we do come out to an extent in Jamaica. Like, we do confirm who we are, like, because it's very um, speculative, too, in Jamaica. Like, people come to you. Like, for example, people didn't know for a fact that I was gay until I said it. I mean, they come and they're like, oh, you're too much of a pretty boy. You don't play with the guys. Every time you go out, you're always with a group of girls and so on and so forth. Um, But never had any, which I thought was weird, never had any concrete proof of me being um, bedfellows with, another man or stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like in a sense, we still, in that simple form, we still do confirm to other people that, yes, this is this is what it is. And for me, I consider that a, a, a kind of coming out. So I have a question right. for Karim based on what you just discussed. Um, so do we only come out with our words? I mean, it, can it be, a, does it have to be a declaration? Because when I think, 
And if it must be a declaration, are we being visible in other ways that do the function of letting people know that queerness exists, that there are people out there who are not straight, who are not cisgender, and all of that stuff, um, without saying it? Because I think like there are queer ways of being in Jamaica. And if I think about my experience, I've never had to say it, and it was always assumed. And of course, as I grew older, I became much more um, explicit about how I talked about the way I had sex and how the, I talked about the way I have relationships, which acts as that form of confirmation for people. But I've never had to say, oh, I'm gay, um, except um, when I'm doing like advocacy and I'm doing storytelling. But that's doing that for a particular kind of purpose strategically so that people can connect with me because I have to do that work. But in my personal life, I, I, my friends knew and I never had to say it um, because... I, there was a queer way of being based on Jamaican standards, gendered standards, and I was that. And it mattered to me that um, that they thought that because it was what it was, you know. So I'm wondering if for me, queer people in Jamaica, that 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 uncertainty, that not saying it and leaving it up to determination, isn't the space that is preferred by many of us, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, nobody has to you know, engage in that public declaration or or, or even private um, to some extent because it doesn't necessarily happen. Like for me, I posted this whole thing on social media um, about me being gay. But for, um, I think, and I guess the distinction is great, right? Because here in, where I live, here in America, for some, like for fear of not offending people, you don't call a thing a thing unless it says it's a thing. So in Jamaica, you have like the clear demarcations of like gender and a man looks like this and acts like this, talks like this, walks like this or anything outside of that. He's, you know, he's funny or he's gay or a fish. Right. Um, Here, you can have an effeminate man and that be okay. I don't know if that kind of answers your questions or goals um, or any at all addresses it, but you know, and I guess that's why there's such big importance placed on coming out here. So the fact that I I think in October, like the second, I think it's October 11th or something is usually national coming out day. Um, So unless you, unless you, you say this Mm. is what it is, you necessarily address it as such for, for fear of offending somebody, right? The idea that everything exists on a spectrum and nobody's neither one thing or the other and stuff like that. It's, you know, unless you confirm that, because I've I've seen straight men who um, have had sexual relations, right, with other men, but wouldn't consider themselves gay, because here and perhaps everywhere they make that demarcation where my sexual behavior doesn't necessarily determine my sexual um, orientation or my sexual preference has nothing to do with my sexual orientation. I could be a straight man that likes getting head from another man, and I don't consider myself gay, so. I guess it goes back to the thing of the idea of we don't call a thing a thing unless it says it's a thing and acknowledges that it's a thing. Fair enough. It's this special kind of idea. Okay, so yeah, um, I wanted to pick up on, on a few things here. So I think one of the things that currently seems to be, um, well, perhaps gesturing to is that this idea of claiming gayness as an identity or whatever is a rel- relatively like recent. Um, phenomenon. So, I mean, it was possible for men to be engaging in sexual practices or behaviors that we might now understand to be gay, but like they didn't. So, I mean, so for example, 
um, in some respects, it, it might be possible for, you know, someone who, a man who identifies as straight to engage in particular kind of sexual or intimate behavior um, with another man. And he, like, he doesn't, like, read himself as gay. But the other thing I was thinking about, too, was uh, I remember in high school, there was a teach so there was a teacher that we had um, who, so we, we, a group of us, my friends and I, we went into an office and she said something to the effect of like how we had a certain kind of air about us. Um, and so it was like, she had us as being different from uh, the guys that we went to school with. And so one of the things that Kareem also brings up is that I feel like there are more, um, there's more range perhaps in terms of the way that men can be or exist in the world that isn't necessarily the same within the Jamaican context, right? So perhaps, you know, the you kind know, of idea of a Jamaican man, queer. it's, you know, some might call it a very, like, you know that Jamaican men are fundamentally queer. So I get what you're saying, and, that we do have strict rules um, of uh, gender wait, in sorry, go ahead. the culture of country society fundamentally queer. So if I go downtown, and so then we putting on the women's underwear to sell the underwear to women. See how dancers are dressed in dance hall. Put them in any other place in any other society in the world, they would be immediately read as potentially queer. So, so I feel like when we talk about being a no maker, that's a part of it. But there's this there's this thing that we talk about, and in Jamaica we laugh about it all, all the time because you know we're just a very expressive funny mm-hmm. people. But Shibada wants to talk about body energy in a Jamaica, and body energy is a thing. You can't look past somebody. But no, but believe in it, they can't feel the body energy I come off of them. And the teacher soon as she said the energy I radiate off her own. She knows what she's about. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with about <laughs> the extent to which you deviate from gender norms because Jamaican men deviate from all the gender norms that they establish. But there's there's that there's, there's something, the spirit of discernment, something in a we as a people, we can't sense body energy. <laughs> Okay, so yes, I agree with you, Benor, but the, the other thing that I would say, though, is I feel like um, there, the, the circumstances in which like that kind of queer energy or queer masculinity is acceptable are like usually very specific. So like dancehall, the church, maybe, whereas I feel like in other contexts, men might have more range of like where those, you know, kinds of... Um, aura or energy or whatever is is acceptable. But I did want to respond to something else really quickly that you said earlier. So, well, I guess two things. The So on one hand, I'm thinking about how some people think or assume or believe that like gayness or homosexuality is something that is, is imported. But I, I find it fascinating that Jamaicans also have a way of understanding um, queerness without using you know the the language of like queer or gay and specifically i'm thinking of uh like rosamund king's work one of the things she talks about is this you know in the caribbean people so some people might use this idea of like you know like that way or stay so as a way of indicating um difference without like as gay so that's one thing i'm thinking about but the other thing is Oh my god! Oh right. Okay. The other thing I was thinking about is like, how do we um, go about like adopting this different language? So I mean, I find it interesting that we're using the language of like queer now, when I don't think that was something that was around when we were 
growing up, right? Or even like the so I mean this idea of even Jamaicans adopting this idea of oh I'm gay. Like where do we get that cue from in terms of the language and is that like representative of our experiences? Because I'm also assuming that most of the representation we've seen in pop culture are like often like white middle class um, gay men. So like what relationship do we have with those images even? But I mean, that's why I feel like I need, I titled this web, this episode Yaso because like when we even like amongst each other, it was like Yaso and you immediately know what they meant by so, whatever <laughs> so is. Um, we never had, mm-hmm. we had what? Fish, Batman, you're funny. People normally say you're funny or, um, yes. or they'll come like Ishi, terms like he, she, like we never had those words, like, you know, those words in our lexicon, but like. Oh, I'm but I think it's really important that I have this intervention now. So and I'll let you get you back real quickly. So 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 speaking of that issue of language, the Jamaica Language Unit had reached out to J Flag to ask about um what is the appropriate word to use on the radio to describe gay people in Jamaica. What is that Jamaican word that exists? And because they were very about using mm-hmm. Batman because it's a pejorative largely. And we actually did a lots and lots of focus groups. Um and there were so many of words like that 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 were thrown out, and there was no community consensus on those words. But it's interesting that you kind of talk about that now, because it's like, what is the Jamaican word for queerness? And that may speak to why we exist in such like of a transient way. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so I, I I named the episode um yeah so because so took on so many different meanings um and it was how we came to understand ourselves like it was that difference that was already perceived without giving a name to it. Last episode, I spoke about the idea of uh, I knew that I was gay. I knew that there was something different about me. I didn't know what the name was or the term was, but I knew that there was something that I didn't talk about. So, um, yeah. 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 And I mean, so now, I mean, I don't know how much of a, a tangent this is actually, but I'm also thinking of how, uh these terms and assumptions of what um gayness or queerness looks like get understood institutionally uh because i'm thinking when it comes to something like uh like asylum application for example right like lawyers often tell people to perform their gayness in a very specific way so it's this idea of you need to be all of privilege <laughs> You need to be volunteering at certain, you know, organizations that are known to the community. Um, I read an article a while back that went so far as saying that um, some men found it necessary to submit videos of themselves having sex with men in order to to prove their 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 queerness or their gayness. I I, I guess. Oh, and actually, one judge. Like how, you know, gay men or whatever are those going to like fucking Kylie concerts um, or something and going for like brunch or something with their girlfriends. And I was just like, this is wild. This is absolutely wild. Um, and that is so funny. for everyone, obviously, right? Yeah. So it's so funny because I actually, I had a, I had a big, mo- I had a big discussion about that very issue earlier this week about how asylum processes use western ideas of queerness and openness to mm-hmm. um to re- reject asylum applications because 
if we're not a group of if Jamaica isn't a, a country of black savages killing queer out queer people, then they don't understand one why people would need protection, and two the different ways that we are out and visible in Jamaica without matching their own standards. So those very things about forcing people to say, oh, I all these people in the community know me because that's what outness looks like, or uh, I go to this and this event, or you know. I, I act this kind of way and I'm very feminine and things like that, which ignores how we show up and are queer and be and do queerness in Jamaica. And I think the notion of coming out kind of reinforces that idea because it sets the standard of being a part of a larger community space, being out into something um, and therefore being a part of something that is visible in a kind of way. Um, and I think when you say, yeah, so, it kind of represents more of the, the the way in which we are so, which is limitless and and and, yeah. and, and indefinable. We just be in, in our true, authentic Jamaican way, and it's clocked um, by different people in different contexts. But that's just how we are, and that doesn't necessarily involve coming out. But there we are, those who of us who are so, who are, and we're going to the party, or we're having our brunches, or we're or we're, or we're just being us in different kinds of ways. And being fully enmeshed in who we are, yeah. Without that standard of outness. And can I just like add the the, the other messed up thing with um, asylum applications is that on one hand you're forcing people to un- adhere to a very specific understanding of what it means to um, be queer, but it also relies on this deeply um, racist and colonial perception of countries like Jamaica in order for those applications to be um, successful, right? So they'll ask questions about like whether or not you are out. And I mean, some people might say that no, because of safety reasons. And then if, but but that also compromises the viability of your application in some ways, because the idea is that, well, if you weren't in immediate danger, then why do you need to be coming to the country? Which is like a really... Is that, is that what you call a catch-22, I guess? I don't know. But it's wild. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if I keep the like process and then just start declaring everybody else together and be able to sell. Kareem? I just have to. Your mic's off, Kareem. Oh, it's back on. <laughs> I look like I ready for job. No, I said <laughs> So be careful. Um... Are criticizing the people's asylum process and they just start declining everybody altogether. Listen, I hear the Americans white people go to think about black queer people and it not gonna stop. They must do better because they walk and go and like say they care about women more than anybody else, and yet they're not invested in actually listening to black queer experiences and not, and supporting oh. us in the ways we want to be supported. But that is our next debate for next time. But they they do more critique a lot of their processes are dehumanizing. Imagine having to show up your sexuality in a kind of way when you come from a space where being sexual in that kind of way is a private matter, but it's that privacy that forces you to feel unsafe in your own country. And then you now have to take that privacy and display it in a very dehumanizing way just to feel safe again. Like, no, you can't be asking me to, to show, to bear my soul just to be seen as human. Right, right. Um, can I take that um, opportunity or that point, though, to make a slight segue? So you're talking about 
this idea of the public and the private. And one of the things that folks say sometimes is that, well, you know, it's fine if you want to live your lifestyle or whatever, as long as you aren't throwing it in my face or whatever the case is, right? Like it's supposed to be like queerness or homosexuality or whatever, however you frame it, is meant to be understood as this um, private activity. And so one of the things that I sometimes talk to my students about is like for them to think about how heterosexuality is quite you know like basically thrown in our faces at like every venture and so this idea of trying to i mean under the guise of acceptance saying that people need to you know keep them business in their bedrooms or whatever um might read as a certain kind of you know a certain kind of queerphobia if you will yeah completely understand i think i'm thinking about those queer people who choose to um to express their queerness in private ways versus the uh, as opposed to kind of creating a divide of when and where and how queerness is supposed to show up and i mean and people who have this idea of don't throw it in my face they can say that to the bottom of my heels because the reality mm. is, is like you said straightness is totalizing straightness it's it's always like I don't always want to see it, but it's always there, and it's a, it's an unreasonable ask to tell us to be to not be in a certain kind of way, so that your straight sensibilities and your homophobic sensibilities and transphobic mm-hmm. sensibilities can be catered to. So on the point of um, visibility, I think that is critical. I do believe visibility is liberty. I don't believe that coming out equals visibility, or rather, is synonymous with or it, our visibility involves exclusively coming out. I think there are many people who would meet the standard of queer in Jamaica who have never done that that traditional coming out process, um, but are so visibly queer that they do the job of showing people that there are different ways of being and existing. And I and I think that's the model I've tried to use because I've always been me publicly and fully, but I've never felt the need um, to say those words, except under very specific circumstances. Where mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, guess I mean, that's how people come out though, like people come out because of the, the idea of things being thrown in faces and um, the whole idea of heteronormativity, right? Like it's like a pushback against heteronormativity. Like, no. In case I wasn't being queer enough for you, here I am telling you how queer I am. Um, that was, like, there's a lot of factors that influenced my decision to publicly post um, that I am gay because, for example, and and I guess this is almost like a response to you as well, Glenroy, because when I was growing up and when I came out to my mom, I wrote her a letter saying, you know, this is why I um, act the way my interest in fashion this is why you know perhaps why we're so close because of that connection and so on and so forth and i was using my queerness to kind of justify my different i don't know idiosyncrasies or whatever those little intricacies may be called and um and for her simply she was just like i wasn't thinking that you were gay because of so on and so forth i just thought that you were the way you were because of that's what you're interested in um, and maybe that might you might say, well, she was probably just in denial because of this whole Jamaican culture and yada yada and her upbringing and her um, religiousness and all those things. But again, to my point, like people don't necessarily look at like the, the standard of queerness 
some people don't necessarily see it as being queer and in 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 the sense that I'm thinking about it like your your sexuality right because queerness is anything that deviates from from the norm but um and so people might not I'm losing my train of thought but people might not necessarily ascribe your behavior to certain things and so that's why some people come out um I knew when I came out I was just like look all of this I, I came out the one thing that really, I guess the, 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 the straw that brought the camels back was the Pulse um, nightclub shooting. And because um, I was, I grew up, as much as I was effeminate and so on, I was still very concerned about what my family members might be thinking or seeing or perceiving um, when they see, mm-hmm. I, see me post something on Facebook and so on and so forth. And it was a, so, the same narrative. I'm okay with you being gay, but just don't throw it in my face. Or I like you because you know why I like you because you're gay, but you're not like the others. You're not like them, or you're not as gay. Or they use the other more derogative terms like you know you're gay, but you're not really a faggot. And I'm just like that's it's not a compliment. It's like you know we call them the, the scholarly terms microaggression. But um, in my mind, I was just like, well, I need to see, I need you to see me as the whole spectrum. Like, I could just be just as polished and refined, and I could be, um, as uh, Glenroy's favorite term, the resident getter gal, and I could, I could be, you know, I could go from one thing or the other in a heartbeat. I'd wear a flat towel, wear um, things that resemble dresses, I'll wear things that you might classify as female clothing and still be comfortable in my skin. I need you to know that I am all these things and more. And so mm-hmm. when I came out, it was just like, look, you're going to see this. And the same people that you're criticizing, when you take jabs at them, you're also taking a stab at me. Um, right. And that was kind of like my my idea of like coming. I felt like I was comfortable to an extent. Right, I didn't necessarily need to come out to be more comfortable or to 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 um get that liberty, but I just felt like it was important for me to make that announcement or that political declaration for the idea of or for the sense of visibility. And I think it's work because the same people who might have their own reservations are the same ones that are now using the correct um, gender pronouns when they talk about trans people. They're the same people who are now um, understanding that. My being wanting to be identified as using he or him pronouns, even though I have stiletto nails and I wear four-inch heels pumps, is not that I'm not a man. I'm just not the typical version of a man that they might be used to. Like I love yeah. having people have to having to register um, refer to me as Mister and Sir, especially when I'm wearing heels. What? <laughs> oh, honey, you're going to get past your, your your discomfort and acknowledge me for what I say I am. Um, right, and that's kind of you know my my whole take on coming out. I mean, okay, so I do want to pick up on something that I think both you and Glenroy um, have gestured to, because I also want to I want us to take note of the fact that um, this idea of don't throw it in my face or being excessive also comes from queer men as well. So I I remember I. You know, back during my undergrad, there was this guy who had really recently come out as gay, and um, he was making comments about, like, this other guy on campus that was, like, pretty out. And he, you know, he was, you know, like, um, visibly, uh, like, feminine and was very comfortable with himself as a person. 
And I was surprised by the fact, I was surprised by how this guy was responding being like, you know, he's doing too much or he's doing the most or whatever. Um, or, or he would say things like, oh, he doesn't like that kind of, you know, he's not into like those kind of, you know, gay men or whatever. And I was like, y'all both like sucking dick. So I don't know what, what the problem is. Like, you need to get over yourself. Or more recently, I was talking to this guy and he was complaining. Um, we were having some, I don't know how we, we got into the topic of Sam Smith, but he was complaining that, you know, he's out here trying to, you know, have people take him seriously as a gay man and you have these people you know being you know feminine and like soft or whatever or um performing their uh their queerness in a way that he considered to be stereotypical and i was like this is like the this is gross for one but it also reveals the way that um you know so many gay men are like femphobic misogynistic um, in terms of their interactions with like other queer men as well, it's like it's like it's disgusting. I mean, they, but I get it. I get it though. I get it because, and I was I'm forced to kind of like reflect on that point because I have a family member who is also um, gay, right? And growing up, I knew he was. Everybody knew he was, and. It was one of those things that um, Glamour talks about. Yeah, he never necessarily had to confirm it to anyone, but he, had, he met, like, the standard of queerness and so on and so forth, and the way he spoke and the things that he engaged in, like, we, like they knew, right? And nobody necessarily had the problem with him. And so co- growing up, he was kind of like my idea, my standard of um, of queerness, and I was... I literally worshipped the ground that he were, he walked on. Like, I couldn't wait to come out to him because he was going to be my end-all, be-all, and he was going to help me work through some of this stuff and so on and so forth. But for years, and we still haven't been able to really get it together, we never, like, meshed. Like, we never necessarily, not in the, not in the, the harmonious relationship that I thought we would have. It never happened. And he sent me an apology at one time, and he spoke about the idea that, you know, I was just, too out there for like to, to, to summarize, make a long story short. He was just saying I was just too out there. But I feel like in reflecting on it, I'm just like, you know, I'm, when you look at him and you look at me and the way he's still performing to meet those like stereotypical gender thing, even if it kind of goes against what he's feeling on the inside or something of that sort. It's like, when you look at me, you're forced to confront those parts of yourselves that you were taught to hate or those traits that you were taught to hate. And so it's kind of like some internalized homophobia going on. So now because of that, you hate me or you you can't see yourself being around me or I threaten the kind of safe haven that you've created for yourself or the kind of respect and reputation that you might get from heterosexuals if I come around and that's threatened because now people are looking at the pariah, right? They're looking at me because I'm like the out there gay. I'm, I'm too gay. And so you're you're forced to therefore try to reject me. I'm not saying it's right or I'm not like justifying it, but I'm just saying that I don't know if I was being deep and philosophical, but for me, I'm just like, oh, I get it. Like you can't, you're you're forced to, I don't know, dismember yourself from your not, you know, associate yourself with me. And so when you see me, you want nothing to do with me. 
or you hate yourself so much or part of yourself so much that you see in me or you wish you could be not being cocky but you wish it could be this fabulous you want to allow yourself to be I totally get that. Like, I totally understand that kind of internalized homophobia. The I get where the femphobia comes from. And so I will modify my statement that to say that us fem queens and the most feminine guys, we don't have to come up because we're, because we live, we, we, we have we, we're full of battle energy and it is very obvious. And so what we're, we're, we're able to kind of live in ways that people can just assume for more masculine um, guys and masculine identified guys they don't have that experience because queerness is not assumed to be a part of their existence and so coming out is actually a process of kind of ending because some of them do live double lives and coming out for them it would mean an end to that and some are prepared to do it and some are not for those of us who whose life we were never given the option of being straight in a in the public imaginary it's a different thing for us so i'll kind of modify the kind of absoluteness that i was saying that you know we don't really come out or you know because it does happen for some people who make that divide, and then for others it's it's presumed, and others just don't do it because they want to not and get the kind of level of scrutiny. But I want to say though, on that point, and this is a tangent, but I think it is critical. I feel like the the same effeminate gay men who or queer men who do the work, who are visible because they have no choice but to be visible, who face the bullying more often than not, sometimes even from those very uh, closeted gay men, um, who who are at the forefront of movements and including our trans brothers and sisters, those gender defying people, um, we take on a lot of shit publicly. And it really is a lot sometimes, especially for me. And this is why it's a pet peeve of mine to not only take that from the mainstream world, but then to take that from people who, the truth is if it were not for me, some of the rights that you now have, some of the ability for us to have the conversation so that protections can be in place, if it weren't for me, you would never have that. And so for, for someone like you to heap that on me, it's unfair because I'm a person and I'm human and it hurts. It literally hurts. And I mean, we can talk about the dating apps and how femphobia is filled over those spaces, but it is a painful thing to deal with your to deal with rejection generally and to deal with society rejecting you, but to go into the community that really you make possible through your existence and to have some members of the community reject you still because you're too out there. You're doing the most. You're drawing too much attention to us. You're why people don't like us. Like Those narratives are painful um, for those people who are out because it's not easy being visible and it's not easy dealing with people's bullshit and it's not fair to have to do all of that and still get shit things, from man. people in your community. CDT. <laughs> Girl... A sermon, a entire sermon, but I'll wait. That's why we have a whole episode dedicated to them. Yeah, to the he, she's. I'm telling you, we need to do that one. It's coming. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay, so um, I... Sorry, go ahead. I have a question. How did you come out? Are you... Do you consider anything that you've done as coming out? I, I I say I rolled out because people knew and then they still got more information as I went along and as I became more and more visible and more and more of an advocate. 
So it was this gradual process of people just learning more and confirming their mm-hmm. own suspicions without me saying it to them. But I would love to hear what process. Um, well, I mean, I think Karim already gave us a quick, um, like, teaser. So why don't you begin there, Karim? Um, so I came out in stages. And I say in stages because I feel like coming out is just never-ending process. Every time I enter a new room and nobody knows me, I feel like I come out all over again um, and confirm, you know, my queerness to those newcomers. Um, shoot, I'm coming out now to people who might never hear this for the first time and not know me. So, you know, but um, when I came out, I came out to like my close friends around me, those who I knew would be okay with it. And that was easy, right? Those were the allies. Those were those who themselves were having those kind of conversations with themselves. Um, well, I came out to my first, myself first. Like I really had to like, you know, acknowledge what I am and be okay with that. But the most memorable coming out for me was coming out to my mom because um, I felt like if she knew what it was and what I was interested in and what my life was and whatever it is that I was feeling, then I could forget about everybody else. I didn't care what everybody else was saying. I cared about what my mom would think. So I wrote her this letter hid it in her purse before she went to work and hoping that she would read it while she was away, give her some time to process it, give me some time to process it. And she called me and she went through like this roller coaster of emotions of just like, um, no, it's not true. You're just going through a phase. Are you sure? Is it, she asked me questions like, is, it, is your penis too small or, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, is it because a girl rejected you and then she went to like the, you know, I am my pit name, I love it regardless. And then of course she ended with the kind of like um this um uh, admonition or permit, like please do not go out there and be like them or be like this. And I think at the time she was telling me not to go trans and um I was like, that's narrow-minded. But in retrospect, I get it, right? She was concerned about my safety, and she was she was living in America. She was already like, um, uh, peaceful to all the the um, the the trans killings and the 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 um, what we call it, the judgment where where um, that queer people face. So she was just trying to shield me from that, and I get that now, and I thank her for that. But after her, and she told me, kid you not, told me, do not tell anybody else in the family, right? I didn't tell anybody else, held up my end of the bargain. But did you know that this wonderful woman told everybody else in the family? (laughs) Right, like before that, she told my (laughs) grandmother. My grandmother was like, make sure you lick him now. Y'all lick him, nothing wrong with him, make him stay No. She told my older brother. She told a few of my aunts and uncles. And I was just like, but you told me not to sing. <laughs> like, how'd that work? How'd that work? Um, but even then, she was still kind of like asking me, kind of like stay under the radar, um, even though she was already telling everybody, like it was the, the observer or something already. And then, like I said, I came out again on Facebook because I felt like people were supposed to know. And... Um, and needed to know because they were just saying ignorant shit and I wasn't prepared for it. So I was just like, look, the people that you're criticizing, just know you're talking about me as well. And I wrote this beautiful, very political and poetic piece 
um, that I'll post online for the for the for the for the listeners who might be so inclined to read. And um, you know, I got tons of support from that. People like be yourself and yada yada. And I can't lie, it helped. Like it helped me. Um, like I would wear heels, but I would never post them on Facebook. Now I do. I don't care. Um, certain pieces of clothing that I'll wear, I wouldn't post them on Facebook. Now I post everything. Um, it helped, and yeah, it's been. I can't say it's been like you know. It's it's been beautiful for the most part, but I still get some pushback from other people who might not know or who still have their own um, skepticism to work out. But for the most part, it's been. I've I've been alright, and I can't complain. Mm. I mean, I just want to say really quickly, I mean, to go back to the point about visibility uh, ever so briefly, I've, I've said to Kareem before, but uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about him is that his uh, ability or capacity to live his life as fully and thoroughly and authentically as possible makes it possible. Wait, yeah, as possible. Yeah, makes it possible for... Um, other people to do the same. And I, I was telling him recently that, like, if I didn't see him, you know, being out there, you know, wearing heels and all of these things, I would have never had the, I, never, I, would never, I don't think I would have found the courage to have, like, tried doing that myself. And, like, heels are a good time, so I highly recommend it. So. <laughs> oh, thank you, Daniel. Oh, no. Three cheers for Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> hip hip bed. Oh my god. So uh Benroy, like what have your experiences been like? Uh so so first of all, so like I said, it was really so I know there was like one person that I know, mm. two people that I made a statement to. One was when I was Yui and in first year and my friend at the time, we were spending a lot of time together and I felt that our conversations would be limited if I wasn't able to talk about what I was experiencing. So I did come out to her in that kind of traditional, I said it to her in a traditional way through text, although I was right beside her when I sent it, but she knew. And then, I mean, all the, and then later down, one of my friends who had, because I did a law program and one of them were uh, half of the, more than a half of there was a set of us that stayed in UA, stayed at UIC in Mona for three years, and a set that went away to Barbados. So, of that grouping, one of them did come back to Jamaica, um, and it was while they were in Jamaica for summer, I think, that I told them explicitly. And it wasn't really about um, you know me being ready to live my life. It's just that I always what was what I was, but I don't know you that well. Because also, you, you don't come out for anyone's benefit, but for yourself, and that's the tea. I never had an issue accepting myself I never had an issue with that it was never about me because once I realized what I was it was I, I was good with it so that was never for me I, I I said things to people to make my life easier so I didn't have to use gender neutral pronouns when I'm talking about what I'm doing so I could so I could say oh girl that's him you know that was the only reason why I felt I needed to do it and that would only happen for people who I had a certain kind of bond with for everyone else Screw them. They don't need to know the details of my life because we're not friends. Like, I don't talk about my sex life in that way. And I don't not wear what I want to wear. And I don't not be how I want to be because I've always only ever been Glenroy, sassy, funny, yeah. shady, and a queen. So for me, that I, I was never not myself. And so the only aspect of coming out that mattered was me being able to have kind of conversation, some kind of conversation with the people that mattered to me. Um, outside of that, though, there was this funny moment 
where I had made this post on Twitter. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the context. But I did say, as a Batman in Jamaica kind of thing. I was talking about a bunch of different things. And I guess my, my family on Facebook assumed that was, that was my official coming out post. I was getting all of these messages of love and support. I'm like, what did, what is y'all doing? We all knew this. Yeah. Why are we acting up? It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, this is cute and all, but this is not necessary. I was just making a, I was just making a regular old post about something that had very little to do. That the sexuality bit was like a small part, but it was still cute and I appreciated it. Um, I'm happy for my visibility. I am happy for the relationships mm-hmm. that I now have with my family, notwithstanding visibility. I, I had a very tough conversation with my brother. Um, and I think I'll talk about that in an, in an episode, in the episode where we talk about mm. the fact that we went to our boys' schools. Um, and so I did have to come out to him in a kind of way, but it was, I, and I had to, I actually cried after, but it was more about, um, him and me and, and what that relationship meant. And even though nothing has changed about my, our relationship, I was touched by the fact that yeah. I had to have that conversation, but I get into it another time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been privileged enough to be able to be me because of the job that I do as as a because I work with an advocacy organization and I and the spaces yeah. I've been able to occupy and my ability to always be myself to wear my capes to wear my heels to strut to twirl to wear the crop tops um and I'm it's been good so far I I think I said this to myself a long time ago and this is my fundamental principle being me has never mm. hurt me and so I have no reason to be yeah. myself and that's something I live by fundamentally. And I will never not be me for yeah. the benefit of anyone else. So, uh, so a few things. Yeah. I love the fact that you um, have that post where you're like, as a Batman, I think that's such a, you know, a creative and a generative way of like claiming a word that was often used to like demonize gay people in Jamaica. Um, I'm also really amazed and impressed by the kind of life that you've a- you've been able to like build uh, for yourself in Jamaica um, with the kind of visibility that you do. I mean, I've I've thought. I mean, sometimes I wonder about what my life would have been like or looks like um, if I stayed. And I don't know. I mean, I, I guess our circumstances and our experiences are different, but I don't know if. I would be at the stage um, with the level of comfort that you 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 have um, that you have attained at this point in in your life, and so sometimes I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I'd be interested in, in at some point having a conversation about what makes certain kinds of like lives possible. Um, in the Jamaican context, in terms of like living out loud, as it were, to use a cliche. Um, but no, I think that's really impressive. Uh, at the moment, I'm not, you know, out to my parents. Um, and I mean, I mean, we'll see what that looks like after this recording goes out. But it's been, I mean, and it's funny because my mom often asks me, you know, if I am 
you know, what's happening with my girlfriend and getting married. And I was like, this is awkward and uncomfortable one. And sometimes she would say things like, oh, you're like focusing on your schoolwork or whatever. And I was like, does anyone, does any straight person see they're focusing on their schoolwork and that's why they're not dating? Is that an actual thing? I feel like that isn't an actual thing. No, it is. When I was growing up, I told my mom and she bought it. I was like, girlfriends are expensive. I'm going to wait until I get a job. That's what I told everybody, actually. My older brothers and everything. So. That doesn't require them to actually acknowledge the reality because they know mothers are intuitive. They know. I think they just want that conversation to happen at some point. Um, however, um, I think to respond to some of what you said, I, you know, it's so funny because I remember when the first time I met Kareem and I was like, damn, this bitch is doing it. Because he had come to my mother in the store that my mother had worked with Corey. And I was like, ooh. This person, <laughs> I was, I was very fascinated, slightly terrified <laughs> because I was like, "Oh, what does this mean for somebody not visible?" But you know, it was, it was, it was great to see. And the truth is, there are many Koreans in Jamaica. There are many people who are out here living their truths. And the, and the sad, the sad reality is, those stories aren't told no. often. There are clues, stories of struggle, strife, and death, and defeat, and destruction. And it's done for a particular mm-hmm. reason. Um, and and there was a time it had currency and it had value, but it's important that in this era and this dispensation of Jamaica that we be honest that um it's possible mm-hmm. it's possible it, it, it's layered there's there are class privileges education privileges all of those things but I think it's critical for um young people growing up to know that it is possible to be queer in Jamaica and live and thrive. Um, because we and we tell those stories of success not to hide the fact that we have problems, but to diversify the story and to get people to not feel so afraid that they'll never be themselves. Because the only way we'll ever get the kind of liberation we want in Jamaica is by being ourselves and by claiming our space. And that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Because I think sadly people want to be want Jamaica to be rescued somehow without putting in the work. When Stonewall had to happen, when the the uh, the bathhouse raids had to happen in, in Canada. Like all those things had to happen for their movements to ignite. And so we have to do something, you know, and it's important for me to be visible because I know it has an impact. And um, I get those one and two messages that you're, you're doing such important things. And it does make me feel good because I'm like, this work be hard, guys. So I, I, I'm appreciative of it, but it matters so much. And that's why I have a house and that's why I have the kids. And that's why I post the way that I do. Because if no one else is doing it, who will, you know? Who will let somebody know that it is possible to live and be happy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and I mean, I think that's part of the reason that we wanted to do the this podcast as well, is so people could see the kind of possibilities that are out there or the fact that there are, you know, queer people uh, who came out of the Jimmy Penn context as well. Um, I mean, one of the things I'm, you know, hoping to work on over the next few months or so with my therapist is like how to have a conversation with my parents before I felt like I was doing them a favor by not telling them. And so I was, I wanted them to die with the fantasy that, because I mean, so one of the things that I've told people is that like, Jamaican parents love this idea of like talking about their kids who is at foreign, right? So like this idea that you have, you know, a son or a child or whatever, 
in grad school it's just this is kind of like you're kind of like stunting on your friends obviously like you know my son's in foreign doing whatever you know all the things and i was like because of how you know dominicans can be it's like you could be educated you could be successful in other you could be a good person in other areas of your life but like if they find out you're gay like that's it that you have lost like that, that that that's yeah you you there's no coming back from that in some respect and so i wasn't sure how to you know address but you know that right sorry go ahead i rather it, you know that's not exclusively true right mm-hmm. no right not so, all so, so, yes. no so the reason why i say that is because jamaicans are funny like that yeah. they want they want to be able to have something so like you say parents stunt your parents stunt on other people's other other yeah, of their colleagues and their friends say, my child is doing well in school. He's in abroad doing his masters. What in his PhD? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And so the other parents will look for a weapon, a little thing to say about him. Is that not about him? Right. You know, that kind of thing. However, the reality is that Jamaicans always find ways of accommodating the queer people are in and around them who they know are queer. Are, um, have, have evidence, quote unquote, that they're queer, um, and they do it all the time because once you serve a certain kind of functionality to them, it, it changes everything. And I think, and that's yeah. the contradictory nature of who we are. Um, they want the weaponry. They want to be able to, at the end of the day, if you piss them off, to just call you a Batman because that's power. But they will find use for you. Mm-hmm. And I think it is critical that us Batman use the the tools, the ways in which they try to use us to leverage that and and, and, and be visible and change their hearts and minds, which is why I, I've, since I've had two of my tutorials and I wore heels twice. The first one was intentional. The second one was a matter of circumstance. Mm. But yeah, my students going to get it this year like they got it last year. I mean, it reminded me of something. So I don't want to speak for other people's experiences, but I'm just now reminded of, so I have a friend uh, who came out to a relative and um, like one of his concerns had to do with, he was like saying, he's not sure if the relationship would have um, survived after, you know, they had that conversation if it wasn't because of certain kinds of uh, economic obligations that they had to each other. And so I was like, okay, fair. But I mean, I think what I'll end on is something that you said earlier. So you were talking about uh, you came up to this person because you felt that conversation would be limited. And that is one of the concerns I have with, that I have, you know, around my own relationship with my parents. Like, I'm like, I don't know. It's hard to talk to you when I can't talk to you about this. I know that I want to talk to you about like sex or whatever, but I feel like so much of my life um, in terms of the relationships that I have with people, the research that I'm doing, the things that I do, or the things I'm involved in are related to um, my position as a queer person. It's hard for, for us to like have any kind of close relationship if you don't use information. Um, so I mean, we'll we'll yeah, see. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I will update y'all later in the future um, to see if I'm able to have a conversation and how that goes. But fingers crossed that it goes well. Um, thanks. Sorry. Go ahead. Our parents. I think it will. Our parents have a way of surprising us in such wonderful ways.
And sometimes we don't give them the chance to by not being honest with them. So I am yeah. hopeful for you. Well, thank you. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Um, I mean, and on that note, uh, thanks to our listeners for um, wait, seeing with us. Wait, for this wait. Wait, wait, go ahead. I know this is a little cliche, but I would love for each of us to, I don't know, just end with a a message to our listeners, something very uplifting and positive. I don't care if it's cliche. Um, Cause I know that a lot of who our audiences or potential audience are people who are still, you know, I hate to call it a struggle, but it is what it is. Are, are struggling with their own sense of self and their own circumstances. Even if they're not struggling with their own self of self, they're comfortable with that, but their circumstances don't really allow them. It keeps reminding them that they're less than or not enough or because of this label, this queer label, it it reduces them, like we've been saying, to um, to nothing. So I'd love for us each to just end with something really positive and uplifting for them. Sure. Uh, okay, I mean, I'll go. So I think one of the things I've been thinking about and talking to folks about is, um, regardless of how that conversation goes with your relatives, um, blood, rena- blood relationships are no guarantee of closeness and intimacy. And oftentimes you can find, you know, family as a verb um, through the connections that you've developed with, you know, your friends and like other people that you, you come across in your life. And so even if it's the idea, you know, even if it's the, the, a case where your family disowns you, that does not mean that you are not worthy of um, love and care um, and that there are people out there who are willing to like fight for you. Yeah. I'll go next. I would just love our listeners to understand that you come out for yourself. You share your the parts of you for your own benefit with others, and it's not the other way around. You don't come out as a duty. You don't come out because you want to please people in your circle or whatever, right? You you do that because you know it serves you. And whether or not you come out, I think the most important thing is to be you always, authentically, sometimes strategically, but always actively. Be you. Mm, mm, love that. Um, and I guess if I had to say something, it would. It, I'd just remind you that we know that the life that we live is not always cute, right? And that's just life in general. But I think it's important that we are not afraid to to be fierce, to be free, to be fabulous anyhow, right? In church, we say hallelujah anyhow. So regardless of our circumstances, we have to try to to, to fight the battle, to hold on. Um, and then just remember, you don't need anybody's permission to be yourself. And like my, my, um, my co-host say, your tribe exists, your family exists, and if you can't find your own, then you can always be a part of ours. Right, Ralph? Here, here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. Um, that was good. That felt good. That okay. felt good. Yeah. 
that was like a really good conversation. So thanks to our listeners for sticking with us. Right. Um, to the end. We know this was um, a very, oh. you know, conversation, but hopefully you found uh, something along the way that resonated with you. Um, as always, we are um, always interested in hearing uh, what ideas or what you're curious to talk about in future episodes. So don't be afraid to hit us up. Um, at the Fish D podcast at gmail.com. Is that correct? Yeah, Fish D podcast at gmail.com yes. or Fish D podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah. Stay sophisticated. Did I steal oh, yeah. Glenroy's line? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>